All right, praise God. But I, uh, you're not going to teach tonight? No, just kidding. Um, so tonight we're going to uh, be in Leviticus, lessons through Leviticus at a blistering pace. Um, we actually are going to cover some ground tonight, and um, you know, it's just been a good study, amen? I think it's been an insightful study. It's been good, and we're in one of the sections that are, you know, I'll be honest with you, it's kind of a challenging section. And so, hold on a minute. Steve cannot believe that I turned the AC off, but it blows my pages, so there you go. Um, it's, it's a challenging section, but you'll see, you know, it'll make more sense. If you read ahead, you might have scratched your head a little bit, but uh, it'll make more sense as we get into it. But um, yeah, let me pray, and then we'll, we'll bring it up to speed. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, it's with uh, just a humble heart, Lord, that we stand or sit here opening the Bible, the the actual word of God, the inerrant, inspired, authoritative, eternal, powerful, living word. And when we're long gone, your word will stand. So Lord, we thank you and we praise you. And we ask God you would supernaturally open our eyes to get it. Because we're really not here just to have a Bible study. We want to know Jesus better. So that's what we're after tonight. Give us grace to that end. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I'm going to front load this with a little bit more introduction, and then we're not going to speed through the text, but we're just going to go at a pretty, pretty good clip. Um, just, I'm going to give you a bit of a review and a preview. So the review is uh, just keep in mind where we're at with this. Moses and the children of Israel, three million plus or somewhere around there, are encamped in Mount Sinai in, in the desert, and Moses has been up on the mountain. He's come down with the law. There's a lot of details that we've already covered, but suffice it for tonight. He's communicating the law to the children of Israel, not just the Ten Commandments, but all the, the regulations for the priests and how to do offerings and all of these things that we've covered and talked about. And we're in this section, basically the last half of the book, 17 through 27, that's dealing very practically with how they lived. And just boil down to brass tacks, it's this. God is holy, and so his people are to live holy. Amen? I mean, that really is kind of the simple theme. I've said it before, I'll say it again, because it keeps coming up over and over again. And the idea is, is that he wanted his people to live separated. And by separated, we mean the two, like a negative separated and a positive separated. Separated from the old life, the old world that they were in, but separated to their God, and living in a way that would honor him and reflect him and, and be glorifying to him. Amen. And the same as us. We're to live separated from the world, from our old sinful nature, from the old man, as Paul puts it, and separated to a relationship with our God. And because we do that, our lives look different than the world, or at least they should. Amen. So that's the section that we're in. As we get to chapter 21 and 22, which we're going to cover tonight, this is a pretty specific chunk. It's dealing with the regulations for priests and specifically dealing with, and I'll just, I have it written down so I don't mess it up, the holy character and conduct of God's servants as they minister to his people. In other words, these two chapters are dealing specifically with the priest, the high priest, Aaron, and those who would come after him as the high priest, and his sons, which were also priests. And what it's specifically dealing with 
is their conduct, listen, and their character in their service to God and their service uh, to God's people. Now, at first glance, you might say, well, what in the world will this have to do with my life? I mean, none of us are from the Levitical you know, line or Aaronic priesthood, and even if you were, we don't live in the Old Testament anymore. We're under the New Testament. So there's really like, as far as the context and face value of this, there's very little for us. But keep in mind that these regulations and these, these procedures and all this stuff picture and foreshadow for us New Testament principles. Amen? Do we get that? Guys, if you miss that, everything will get real boring and dull. So just to make sure you got it, Keep a finger here and flip over to Hebrews chapter 10 for a second. Hebrews 10, and I just want to read one verse. Hebrews 10.1 says this, For since the law has but a shadow of good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifice sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. The first part of that verse is what I want you to see. The law is a shadow of the good things to come. The law foreshadowed the ultimate fulfillment, which is in who? Jesus. And so keep that in mind. Now, here's how that comes into play. I'm not trying to lose you here, but this is really important. So as we are reading about Old Testament high priest and his sons who are priests, there's a very real application for us. And it's namely this. Aaron, the high priest, foreshadows for us Jesus, who is our great high priest. Amen? Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. If you want to jot that down, check me out later. Don't just take my word for anything. Hebrews 9, 11 states that Jesus is our great high priest. So when we read about Aaron, it kind of is a foreshadow of how Jesus would fulfill all of those things. And then when you read about Aaron's sons, they were like priestlings, like under priests or like lesser priests. They were his sons and they were priests, but they didn't have quite the same privileges. Guys, that's a picture of us as Christians. Did you guys know that? 1 Peter chapter 2 Verse 5 says that we are a royal nation, a holy priesthood. Everybody who is born again as a Christian, listen to this. This will blow your mind if you let it. You're in the priestly ministry. Now, if you came from like a Catholic background, this could like maybe warp you a little bit. Like, what do you mean by this? We're not talking about priests in the sense that we are interceders, you know, or mediators for man. That's not the idea. We don't have to wear backward collar. We don't have to wear dress in black. It's not that kind of thing. The idea is this. Jesus is the great high priest, the one and only mediator between God and man. Amen? We, though, have kind of a priestly ministry in that we get to minister to people about the great high priest. We get to represent God to people and represent people to God. And we get to have this kind of, this ministry of reconciliation and this ministry of just representing Jesus, our God, to people and people to God in prayer. Does that make sense? So it's a very real application for us. Now, with that in place, this is what I want you to catch. This is what the chapter is dealing with. Now think about this. It's dealing with regulations for priests in their conduct and their character as they're ministering because, listen, they might have been a priest, 
but that that did not automatically make them usable in the priesthood. Does that make sense? Well, what do you mean? They're priests. Yeah, they're priests. But because of this spiritual privilege given to them, there was a higher bar of responsibility. To quote the great theologian Uncle Ben, with great power comes great responsibility. Spider-Man, come on, you guys. Anyone? Jeez. Like six people got that. Am I getting that old? Anyway. <laughs> it's true, guys. Thank you. Yes, one. Guys, with great power comes... In other, listen, with this great privilege of, of being in the ministry and in a leadership position of some kind, listen, the bar gets raised as to your conduct and character to make sure that you're usable for that position. Does that make sense? And guys, listen, just because you're a born-again Christian, you are a priest in, this, in that sense, but that doesn't make you necessarily automatically usable in the kingdom of God. Because our conduct matters and our character matters. And there's a high bar that it's set. And, and when you think about, you know, like pastors or worship leaders or Sunday school teachers, like ministry in the church, man, there's a higher level of expectation. You think about being a dad or being a mom or being a teacher or being a coach or being a boss that's a Christian. Like the bar comes up and our usability kind of hinges on our character and our conduct. And God is, he's saying, look, yes, it's a great responsibility. But with that, with that responsibility comes this this expectation that's higher. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, let's just dive in. We're going, to, we're going to do big chunks tonight. The first big chunk we'll do, the first 15 verses. And what this specifically is going to be dealing with, just so you'll pick it up as we go, is um, how the priests were uh, to conduct themselves as it relates to mourning, not M-O-R, but M-O-U-R, mourning and marriage. I didn't lump those two things together. I'm just saying that's the two things being tackled here. And the Lord said to Moses, speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron. So there, this is specific, these first chunk is specifically not to Aaron, but to his sons. Say to them, no one shall make himself unclean for the dead among his people except for his close relatives, his mother, father, his son, his daughter, his brother, or his virgin sister who is near to him because she has no husband, for he may make himself unclean. For her he may make himself unclean. Verse 4. He shall not make himself unclean as a husband among his people and so profane himself. In other words, if he's related by marriage, it doesn't count. They shall not make bald patches on their heads nor shave off the edges of their beards nor make cuts on their body. Now, we covered this last week, so I'll just mention it briefly. These were pagan ways of expressing not just mourning, but almost like worship to the, the gods of the dead, if you would. They shall be holy to their God and not profane the name of their God, because, or for, they offer the Lord's offer, uh, food offerings, the bread of their God, therefore they shall be holy. In other words, they're in the service of the Lord. They, they, they have to do these things. They're, they're set apart. Verse 7, they shall not marry a prostitute or a woman who has been defiled. Neither shall they marry a woman who is divorced from her husband because the priest is holy to his God and you shall sanctify him. For he offers the bread of your God and he shall be holy to you. For I, the Lord, who is the one who sanctifies you, I am holy. And the daughter of any priest 
If she profanes herself by whoring, profanes her father, she shall be burned with fire. That's heavy. Now, by the way, why does this prostitution thing keep coming up? Like, you know, that's what I think of when I read this. I'm like, really? Was prostitution like that big of a thing? But yeah. In all the surrounding nations around them, why does he throw this into the idea of mourning and this and that? Because in, in their, the, the pagan cultures around them, the priesthood and prostitution were linked. Does that make sense? The way that the, the pagan quote-unquote worship would happen so often is there is like temple prostitutes and things like that. And so on a very broad stroke, what God is saying is the way you're doing things is going to be nothing like the way that the pagan world is doing. And he's making a very clear separation. It's probably why he emphasizes that. Well, look at verse 10. Keep reading for a second, then I'll, I'll pull some strings and make some of this stuff come together, hopefully. Verse 10, the, the priest who is the chief among his brothers, i.e. the high priest, on whose, on whose head the anointing oil is poured on, who has been consecrated to wear the garments, another way of saying the high priest, shall not let the hair of his head hang loose nor tear his clothes. That is, in mourning. He's not to show those outward signs of mourning. He shall not go into any dead bodies nor make himself unclean, even, check this out, for his father or his mother. He shall not go out of the sanctuary lest he profane the sanctuary of his God. <clears throat> For the consecration of the anointing oil of his God is on him. I am the Lord. And he shall take a wife in her virginity. A widow, a divorced woman, a woman who has been defiled or a prostitute, these are he shall not marry. He shall take as a wife a virgin of his own people. That he may not profane his offspring among the people. I am the Lord who sanctifies uh, him. So it's, it'd be really easy to delve into every detail, and it's kind of the, the classic forest for the trees scenario. What I want to do is kind of see some of the broad stroke, big picture things that are being talked about here. So first of all, I told you there's two things that are being dealt with for the priests. Number one was this idea of mourning. The general idea is this. If you were a priest, not the high priest, but just a priest, you were not to touch an unclean body. Here's why. Touching an unclean, or excuse me, a dead body would make you ceremonially unclean. Does that ring a bell to stuff we talked about earlier? It's not that like cooties or whatever. It's ceremonially speaking to touch a dead body kind of um, made you unclean. And so you had to go through a process uh, of being ceremonially cleansed. And so, you know, it took some time and all of that. So, the garden variety priests were allowed only to touch the dead bodies. This would be like, you know, in funeral preparation, things like that, of their close relatives. And not even relatives by marriage. But did you notice, by the way, the high priest? The high priest wasn't even allowed to touch his parents if they died because he had, again, as the high priest, an even higher level of responsibility and conduct and character and all that stuff. And he was not to even touch the dead bodies of even his parents or even show the outward signs of mourning. He wasn't even to leave the sanctuary, i.e. go to the funeral. And so this is crazy. And we look at that, we go, well, what, what's the reason behind this? What's all this say? Here's the thing. Remember, these picture and foreshadow things for us to consider. You know, a lot of Bible you know, teacher, commentator, guys, see in this a type. By touching a dead body, you become unclean. It doesn't mean you're not a priest anymore. Listen to this. 
It just sets you back in the way that you can serve. But what does the dead body speak of? Well, a lot of, a lot of people see this connection. The dead body could be a type of the old sinful man. Does that make sense? If you're newer to Christianity, that may, that may not make sense. But, but see, here's what we need to understand. When you became a Christian and you identified yourself with Jesus Christ, when you believed in him, put your faith in him, and were baptized, you know what baptized, baptism is a picture of? The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And you're identified with him in that. Just like Jesus died, you died with him. You, the old sinful you, died with him. But just like he raised a new life, you have also been risen to new life in Christ with him. Amen? And so as new believers, we're not to go back to the old dead man, the dead things of the world. We're to put to death the, the, the lusts of our flesh and the old desires and the ways we used to live, and we're not to go back to those. Does that make sense? So in a sense, you can, you can make an application like, man, as it relates to us in ministry, now, we can't be those that are, in a sense, handling dead things. We're not to go back to the old ways of life. We're not to go back to the old man and the old way of thinking and the old watering holes and the old, you know, habits. Does that make sense? And when we do, here's a, here's a reality check. It's not that God doesn't, you know, disqualify us from being his child or even being a believer priest or anything like that. But I've found this. When I go back to my old man ways, the old dad stuff, you know what it does? It hinders me. It hinders my usability, my availability. Uh, one verse that pops into my mind, and I think it's in Peter, abstain from youth, youthful lust that what? Wars against your soul. When we go back and do the old dead things, it wars against our own souls. It, it trips us up. Amen? And he's saying, look, I, I want you to be free and clean and clear and not all defiled by the dead stuff. And so... That's kind of what he's dealing with there. You can make more application if you wish. One thing that I thought of, you know, couldn't help but think of the words of Jesus when the person wanted to come and follow him, but he's like, let me go bury my parents first. And it's not like they were actually dead. The idea was, I'll wait till they die in 10, 15 years or whatever, then I'll go follow you. And Jesus said what? Let the dead bury the dead. Would you come and follow me? And the idea is not only purity, but priority. That nothing else is more important in my life than following and serving Jesus Christ. Well, that's the idea behind the mourning, but what about the marriage? You know, basically, again, these regulations were very specific to them. There's types and pictures, but basically this. The priests were not allowed to marry um, anyone but a virgin, basically. Um, no prostitute, no uh, divorced woman. Now, other people, other Israelites could do that, but the priests couldn't. And what this speaks of, guys, is in the ministry, in leadership, in spiritual maturity, it speaks of the importance and the priority of the home life, of marriage, of, of family. You know, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, he says, if you don't, and he's speaking to elders, deacons, leaders in the church, and it's, it's one of those verses that, as somebody who's involved in church leadership stuff, it makes me kind of cringe because he says, look, if a person doesn't know how to rule his own household, how can he rule the household of God? And what God is saying is, look, to be in any kind of leadership, and it doesn't have to be limited to like church leadership stuff, but leadership in general, look, it starts at home. It starts with husband. It starts with wife. It starts with kids. 
Now, none of us are batting a thousand in that. None of us have the perfect kids except for me. None of us have the perfect spouse except for Regina. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> none of us have been the perfect spouse. None of that is true. But the idea is not that we're, we're flawless in it, but that, that it really is a priority. That, that that's the, the first and main important thing and, and how many people have disqualified themselves because the home life was just out of balance. And, and so just an, imp- an importance there. So let's keep moving. Uh, verses 16 through 24, we'll do the last part of this chapter. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron saying, none of your offspring throughout their generations who has been blemished may approach uh, to offer the bread of his God. Now, this is specific to the high priest. Hang in there with me, guys. I know there's a lot of stuff we got to work through, but um, let's get through it together. Verse 18, no one who has a blemish shall draw near. A man blind or lame or one who has a mutilated face or a limb that's too long or a man who has an injured foot or an injured hand or a hunchback or a dwarf or a man with a, um, defect, a defect in sight or an itching disease, or scabs, or crushed testicles. Just throw that one in there. No man of the offspring of Aaron, the priest who has a blemish, shall come near to offer the Lord's food offering since he has a blemish. He shall not come near to offer the bread of his God. He may eat of the bread of God, but not but, uh, both of the most holy and of the holy things, but he shall not go through the veil or approach the altar because he has a blemish that he may not profane my uh, sanctuaries, for I am the Lord who sanctifies them. So Moses spoke to Aaron and to his sons and to the people of Israel. That, I don't, you know, that sounds weird to our ears. I mean, at least it does to mine. You know, what he was saying is the high priests in the future, he's saying, look, if you have a physical outward blemish of some kind, you still get to be a priest and you still get to eat Remember when they would offer, people would offer offerings, part of it went to God, part of it came back to the priest. That's how they were provided for, right? He's like, you still eat that stuff, you're still in, but you can't go into the holy place. And you can't, you certainly can't go past the veil into the holy of holies if you've got these physical ailments. Now, the interesting thing is like some of those things are stuff that happens to you in life, but some of those things might be just the way you're born. And what God is not communicating is that he has some lesser love for them or any of that. You have to remember, this is all very much typical. The priest, the high priest representing God, and he, he, the, the idea is wholeness. And what was physically being legislated here speaks of spiritual wholeness for us. What would disqualify us from from ministry are those blemishes, those things in our character. And by the way, we're all born with it, aren't we? We're all natural born sinners, every single one of us. We have a sinful nature. That's a very, by the way, that's a very biblical but yet very unpopular doctrine in our culture right now that man is not innately good. Actually, man is innately bad. We were born with that handicap, if you would. And not only that, things happen to us in life that make us bitter, make us angry. Make it, but what he's saying is those big flaws can hinder you from your walk, from your ministry, from your usability in the kingdom of God. Now, by the way, who is the, this is going to be easy, the answer is Jesus. Um, who is the only perfect great high priest who had no, hey, Mitch, good job. 
He was the perfect and the only perfect priest that ever lived. No spot, no blemish, perfect in character, perfect in conduct. So again, those physical things speak to spiritual applications. Chapter 22 Uh, Verse 1, let's look at the first 16 verses again. We're going to chug straight through. Hang in there with me. This is a really important section. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons that they um, abstain. I like how the NLT puts it, like be careful in the holy things of the people of Israel which they dedicate to me so that they do not profane my holy name. He's about to talk about who can eat and how they approach the, the holy things that people bring. Again, when people would bring their offerings, their sacrifices, they were holy to the Lord. For the most part, those sacrifices partially went to God up on the altar, but then part of it went back to the priest's family. That's how they were provided for. The tithes and the, and the, the food offerings, all that stuff, that was, since this was their job, they didn't go out and work another job, this is how they made a living, and this is how they were provided for, and they could eat of those things. But this is what he's saying. Listen, it gets real practical, real quick. In your position, he might say, as a priest, be real careful with how you're handling the holy things. Don't get lax. Don't start taking, making condolences for yourselves. Don't start getting, you know, like a little bit just, yeah, just cutting corners. And that's easy to do. When you're in some kind of leadership position and a a certain degree of power or a certain degree of finance or a certain degree of whatever is given to you, you better be real careful you don't abuse that. And you make, that's basically what he's saying. So um, we'll build on that, but listen, he says, I'm the Lord. Verse three, say to them, if any one of all the, of your offspring throughout your generations approaches the holy things that the people of Israel dedicate to the Lord, listen to this, while he has an uncleanness. So uncleanness is inevitable in some ways, you guys. Like, they couldn't stay perfectly ceremonially clean all the time. But he says, if they approach the holy things with an uncleanness, that a person, that person shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. None of the offspring of Aaron who has a leprous disease or a discharge may eat of the holy things until he's clean. Whoever touches anything that is unclean uh, through contact with the dead or a man who has an emission of semen or whoever touches a swarming thing by which he may uh, be made unclean or a person from whom he may take uncleanness. And we covered all these things in earlier chapters. Whatever his uncleanness may be, The person who touches such a thing shall be unclean until evening and shall not eat of the holy things unless he has bathed his body in water. When the sun goes down, then he shall be clean, and afterwards he may eat of the holy things because um, they are his food. He shall not eat what dies of its own self or is torn by beasts to make himself unclean by it. I am the Lord. They shall therefore keep my charge lest they bear their sin and, it, uh, and die thereby when they profane it. I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Now, I hope I didn't lose you, but there's actually a huge principle tucked in here. Like I said, probably impossible to go through their whole life and stay perfectly ceremonially clean all the time. All he's saying here is this. If you are unclean, make sure you are ceremonially clean before you come in and start handling the holy things. Think about that. 
A priest, and by the way, all it took was they had to wait, they had to bathe themselves, and then they had to wait till evening, then the next day, and then they're good to go. But if they got lax in it, if they kind of started just thinking they're kind of above that, what, what could easily happen? Well, yeah, I touched a dead guy, big deal, and I'm going to go, and I'm still going to eat my dinner tonight that was offered. Or Nobody saw me actually rub up against that Gentile and make myself, you know, like, I've got this leprous itch underneath my arm, you know, I'm sure it's probably leprosy, no big deal, I'm unclean, so what, I'm going to eat dinner tonight. The point is this, they could still do the service of the Lord and, and, and touch the holy things that were committed to God and go through and, and have secret, undealt with uncleannesses in their life. And I believe what God is saying in this chapter, very importantly, he's saying, look, God sees it. And, and basically to them, he says, I'll smoke you. Like, don't you dare handle the holy things if you've got hidden undealt with sins that you're bringing in. Is that applicable to any of us? Do you know that you can come to church? You know that you can serve in church. You know you can be a dad. You can be a mom. You can be a coach. You can be all these things and look really outwardly wonderful and go through the motions and do those things. And yet, are we not all aware of the fact that we can have private secret sins that we're harboring in our heart? that there's unconfessed, undealt with stuff in our lives. We're never going to be perfect. It's impossible for any of us to go through life without being, quote, unquote, defiled or sinning. The point is deal with it. Be real with God about it. Don't think you're above it. And isn't that, that guys, if you haven't lived long enough to figure this out, this can be a real temptation. You can start to believe your own press clippings. You can start to think you're, you're kind of above the curve or whatever, and those just things don't really apply to you. But God is a respecter of no man. He sees my heart. He sees your heart. And for those in any kind of leadership, and I, I'm not trying to limit this to church leadership. I'm talking about you might be a dad or a mom or whatever the list. Guys, we got to be careful and not let familiarity breed contempt. You know what I mean by that? We can be so familiar with the things we're doing, we just, ah, oh, this doesn't apply to me. The great news is this. If you have sin, you know what? You can have it washed away. Jesus can, in a sense, wash your feet. You can come to him and confess your sin, and if we sin, we can confess our sin. He's faithful and just to, what, forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. Amen? I'm feeling right now as I teach through this, just I feel like I need to keep paused here for just a minute. And I feel like the Lord would just say, he sees your unconfessed, undealt with sin. And he's not angry. Just wants you to be real with it. God knows our struggles, you guys. He knows our struggles. He knows we're, we're you know the Bible says, that he remembers in Psalm 103 that we're made out of dirt. He expects us to be dirty. He calls us his sheep. He expects us to ask like, ask, <laughs> act, not ask like sheep. Just seeing if you're awake. He knows our struggles, you guys. So the point is, if that hits you tonight, you say, you know what, yeah, there's, it's not that I just have messed up. I'm like hiding this thing. You are hindering and hurting your own walk, and the ministry. So confess it, deal with it, and move on. Amen? Well, let's, let's keep moving. We're almost done. It doesn't look like we're almost done, but we are. We're almost done. 
A lay person, verse 10, may not eat of the holy things, no foreigner or guest. Next few verses just basically talking about who is allowed to eat. We're going to skip over that. You can read it later. Verse 17. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons and all the people of Israel and say to them, now check this out. When any one of the house of Israel or of the sojourners in Israel presents a burnt offering in his offering or any of their vows or free will offerings that they offer to the Lord, listen to verse 19. It is to be accepted for you. It shall be a male without blemish or bulls or sheeps or the goats. Verse 20. You shall not offer anything that has a blemish. It will not be acceptable for you. And when anyone offers a sacrifice or a peace offering to the Lord to fulfill a vow or a free will offering from the herd or from the flock to be accepted, it must be perfect or whole. There shall be no blemish, animals blind or disabled or mutilated or having discharge or itch or scab. You shall not offer to the Lord or give them to the Lord as food offering on the altar. You may present a bull or a lamb that has a part too long or too short for a free will offering, but for a vow offering, it cannot be accepted. Any animal that has his testicles bruised or crushed or torn or cut, or all of the above, shall not, uh, you shall not offer to the Lord. You shall uh, not do it within your land. Neither shall you offer as the bread of your God any such animals gotten from a foreigner. In other words, something that didn't cost you anything. Since there is a blemish in them because of their mutilation, they shall not be accepted for you. So, let me just, again, we're, we're doing broad stroke applications here. Basically, here's what he says. When you offer something to God, that animal, for it to be accepted, it had to be without spot, without blemish. Does that ring a bell, by the way? The priest had to be pure and whole, but he's saying not only does the priest have to be pure and whole, but the actual sacrifice has to be pure and whole. And we've read about that all through. Remember, like in the first few chapters, whenever they brought their lambs, they had to be without spot, without blemish. And here's what I love about this, you guys, is because we know this. This is a picture of Jesus. You guys, he is the Lamb of God. Remember John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus and Jesus alone is the only one that was, was ever without spot or without blemish. He was born without that sinful nature and he lived his entire life without ever blowing it. He was the only perfect one. And the, way, the reason that that is so amazing is because, because he was the perfect one, he could stand in as a substitutionary sacrifice for you and me and pay for our sin, and it would count. Amen? So this is a picture of, of Christ. Okay, let's, let's wrap this up, and I just have a, kind of an encouragement and a bit of an exhortation that we'll end on. Verse 26, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, when an ox or a sheep or a goat is born, it must remain seven days with his mother. On the eighth day, it's acceptable for a food offering to the Lord. You shall not kill an ox or a sheep and her young in one day. And when you sacrifice a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, you shall sacrifice it so that you may be accepted. It shall be eaten only uh, oh, on the same day, and you shall leave none of it till morning. Quick note on that. Um, it's, isn't it interesting? He says, look, if you want to offer a little baby lamb or whatever to the Lord or for food, wait a week and do that. But he says, and don't kill mama and the baby on the same day. I don't know if there's some big, deep theological reason behind that, but I just love how God honors the tenderness of life right there. And just says, you're not going to kill the mama and the baby on the same day. And he just kind of separates that. Just, I find that interesting. Well, verse 31, And so you shall keep my commandments and do them. 
I'm the Lord, you shall not profane my holy name, that I might be sanctified among the people of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you and brought you out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord. In chapter 23, which we're not going to get to tonight, we're going to switch gears completely and start talking about the feasts. Anybody ever studied the feasts? Unbelievably wonderful, rich, read ahead. It's going to be awesome. But before we get to that and before we finish tonight, I just want to make a couple quick applications. Back to this idea of us, you and I as Christians being believer priests in the ministry. A couple of things that were just on my heart as I was thinking about this, because just like at the beginning when I said, just because they were born into the priestly family didn't mean it made them um, usable. They, they had to rise to the occasion in a sense. Because you, believer, if you're a Christian in here, I don't care if you're a two-week-old Christian or two-decade-old Christian, you have been not only born into the family of God and all those blessings, but you have a believer-priest ministry. You have a purpose. You have a, God wants to use you in some sphere that you're in to represent God to people and people to God and, and, and really be used. And it's exciting when you, when you get that and you step into that. But I was thinking about this. Well, Sometimes people are very hesitant, listen, to step into any kind of leadership or any kind of stepping into the things of being used by God or going deeper. You might say, well, you know, maybe other Christians are, you know, more, you know, they can do that, but not me. And, and there can just be this radical sense of inadequacy. Anybody ever felt that? Believer, priest, I, what you, I'm just a construction worker who got saved. I, I can't do anything for the kingdom of God. And maybe you feel like God's calling you to share your faith on the job side or whatever. And you're like, no, I, I just, I, did, did, did. I think a lot of people are reluctant to step into saying, God, use me however you want to because they, they kind of have this overwhelming sense of inadequacy, insufficiency. Case in point, Moses. Moses did the opposite. He was super self-sufficient. I got this, God. You know, when he was 40 years old, he just, Acts tells us, he just thought that they would understand, I'm your deliverer. God, duh, I'm the guy. Check me out. Born and then in the, raised in the household. I'm, I'm a Jew. I'm your guy. And he was super just self-reliant to the point where he murdered somebody. You guys remember that? And then God basically, he had to run for his life and then he spends the next 40 years, not four months, not four years, not 40 years in the desert as a humble servant, as a humble shepherd. And God appeared to him in a, in a burning bush and said, Moses, now you're ready. Now I can use you. I want you to send you back into Egypt and deliver my people. And Moses, what, you, know, you guys know the story. He's like, uh, you got the wrong guy. I, I don't talk well. Um, I can't do this, God. You know, maybe a younger version of me. I'm, I'm not, I'm paraphrasing. And God said, but I'll be with you. I, I don't know, Lord. You, you, maybe you should get somebody else, but I'll be with you. It got to the point where God got angry. And this is what I want to say. Listen, it is healthy and good to have a very real sense of your inadequacy apart from God. 
But it can get to a point where it's unhealthy. Where at some point you just got to have faith and realize it's not about me. If God's calling me to do something, he will then give me the grace to do that thing. But I got to trust him because why? He said he'd be with me. Lo, I am with you always. Amen? And I think there might be even some of us in here, I don't know, I could never teach Sunday school or I could never do this or I don't know if I get said, I'm just, and you're kind of overwhelmed with that inadequacy. Oh, good, I'm glad you feel that. But don't dishonor God and hide behind that, which is, it is really just a lack of faith. If God's calling you to do something or step into something, acknowledge that inadequacy. But what did Pastor Steve teach us from 2 Corinthians chapter 3 this last Sunday? Christ is our sufficiency. He's the one who's made us sufficient. Amen? I, oh, I don't know if I can hold up the standard. No, you can't. You'll blow it. We've all blown it. But we've been covered by the blood of Christ, and he'll give you the grace to move forward. So, yes, feel that insufficiency, but understand he is your sufficiency. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Amen? That might be one camp. Another camp, though, might be this. I have young men in mind right now. Not that it's limited to this, but I'm thinking of young men. Sometimes we're reluctant to step into our priest, believer priest ministry, whatever that may look like for you, or step up into leadership because of your overwhelming sense of inadequacy. Oh, good news, Christ is our adequacy. But sometimes we don't want to step into it because we're aware of the fact that there's more responsibility. I know guys personally that are absolutely called in ministry and who don't avail themselves because they know that they'll be held to a higher bar of responsibility and they honestly just don't want to do it. It's too much drama. I don't know. I, I, I don't want people looking at me. I don't want to live in the fishbowl. It's like the old, you know, illustration. I don't want to put a Christian bumper sticker on my car. Why? Well, I drive really fast. And I just don't want to give Christ a bad name. That sounds really holy, but why don't you put the Christian bumper sticker on your car and drive like a Christian? Because then I'd have to reel myself in. Exactly. I don't want to step into ministry or, or teach Sunday school or do this. And this is not a guilt gotcha or anything like that. I'm just saying, we need to think about this. I don't want to step up and, and lead my family in the things of the Lord. I don't want, because I, it's just, I really just don't want to, to, to take on that responsibility. Can I tell you this? There is a time in life as a, when, you, when you have to grow up. And the same thing is Spiritual. If, if you live a, a spiritual life where life's still all about you and your pleasure and you getting to be free and do whatever you want, then you're still a baby. And, there, and there's a time where you have to step up and mature and realize it's not about you anymore. It's not about what you want to do anymore. It's your turn now to serve. But it's hard. Let it be hard. Do hard things. Trust God. Step in. I, remember, I may have told this story before, you, before but I'll, I'll tell it real quickly. Many of you guys know I came from Applegate Christian Fellowship. John Corson was my pastor for years and years. And I, I, I probably have told this story, but anyway. Um, in 1999, I was sent out from that church to go plant another church in another part of our state, in Oregon. And when I say 
sent out, it was like this, Jason, why don't you move up there and try to start a church or something? And we'll, we'll finance you, but you don't get your next paycheck until you're out of here. So you should think about going. I'm like, basically, that's what it was. You know, like, okay, I think the Lord's calling me. I'm going. Um, and we moved up to the northern, western, northwestern part of Oregon. And, um, you know, we were in the, I just remember being in the very infantile stages of just like, you know, 26 years old. I'm trying, well, what am I, how do you start a church? I didn't even went to Bible college. How do you do this? Like, I just, so I did what any normal person does. I go to coffee shops and look for people to talk to Jesus, you know, talk about Jesus with. And, and I can just remember we had like little Bible studies and this and that. All that to say is a few months down the road, there was like this family camp down at, uh, in, in uh, the coast in the southern part of Oregon. And Pastor John was there. And it just so happened that I'm sitting at the table with him. And he's like, how are things going? And I was like, great. Yeah, it's, it's been good, you know. And, and um, he's like, uh, you know, tell me what you're doing. And I was like, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm studying and I'm, I'm teaching and I'm, I'm kind of the janitor I'm, and I'm the bookkeeper and, I, and I'm just like, I'm all of it. I do every, I'm the CEO, I'm the secretary, I'm the, you know, I'm just like, Kind of just venting a little bit of like it's hard and da 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 and it's it's a weird area and they, and and I love the way Pastor John did this. He kind of leaned in and he said, "Hey, how long did you go to Calvary Chapel in Thousand Oaks there when you were when you got saved?" I was like, "Oh, it's like eight or ten years. Oh, that's cool." And 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 you just got to sit there and take in the Word of God. I was like, "Yeah, man, I got just man, I was just poured into and loved on and 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 people there just took care of everything, didn't they?" I was like, "Yeah." They did. They just kind of went, now it's your turn. Pastor John has this way of rebuking you and making you feel good about it. It was just this loving, like, yeah, be a man. Suck it up. It's your turn. But it was good for me. I needed to hear that. And I think that there's some that maybe just kind of need to hear a loving suck it up tonight. We have enough people even in this world who aren't willing to take responsibility. Be a husband, be a man, be a worker. I'm th- I remember I told you I was thinking about guys and it translates to women as well. And just like in life, in spiritual things, you know what? God wants to use you. Well, that means I might have to change some of my lifestyle and my habits. Then change your lifestyle and change your habits. My, well, even my Christian friends might think I'm a little bit weird. Who cares? You go for it. You step up. Because I think God wants to raise up pastors and God wants to lead up, raise up worship leaders and Sunday school teachers and evangelists and missionaries and godly business owners and moms and dads who want to raise up kids in the ways of the Lord. And if we're just all the while thinking, I don't know, it's just kind of hard. I'm not sure I want to live in the fishbowl. Live in the dang fishbowl. Let people judge you. Just, it's good for you. Go for it. I remember, one more quick story. I'm, I'm just totally shooting from the hip right now. Just settle in. This one time, no, um, I remember in my old church, I, I was like, our church began to grow, and it was a small community, so I'm being known as Pastor Jason around the community and stuff a little bit more. And, and I remember just walking down, Anybody know what Fred Myers is? Fred, it's a big store, basically. And I'm walking down the magazine aisle, and there's just like magazines. But there's like magazines with like some flesh on them. 
And I'm walking down the aisle. I'm just going to be real honest with you. I'm a guy. I'm walking down the aisle, and I'm like, dude, dude, caught my attention. And somebody comes around and goes, hey, Pastor Jason, how are you doing? Doing great. Note to self, don't walk down the magazine aisle. Well, that's not, I mean, what are these judging? I don't, listen, for me it was good. Like, you know what? That's fine if people think, you know, I don't want people to think I'm looking at stuff or whatever. I'm going to raise the bar a little bit. I'm going to have to just be a little bit more on guard and if that's restrictive or whatever, who cares? If, if it's for the glory of God, if it's, if it's to set a good example for my family or the church or whatever, you guys understand what I'm saying by that analogy? Do the hard thing. Die to yourself. It, it's time to stop living for ourselves and, 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 and thinking it's all about us. It's time to grow up and raise the bar. I don't know how that translates into your life tonight. Those are the two things. I told you, one was an encouragement, like, oh, man, yeah, Christ is your adequacy. Go for it. The other one's like, get off the couch. You pick one. I don't know what you need tonight. But let's pray, okay. Father, we, we acknowledge that it's a great responsibility. It's a great and wonderful privilege, I should say, that you brought us into your family, and now you want to use us. And I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus that anyone here tonight maybe has heard that calling, but they've been set back by maybe an unhealthy sense of inadequacy. Lord, would you remind them tonight, you're with them. You are with them and you are their adequacy. You have died for their sins. You're gonna give them the grace to do what you're calling them to do. Lord, I pray that they would just be bolstered in their faith right now. Lord, if there's a couple maybe listening that are like holding back from serving you because, quite frankly, they don't want the responsibility, Lord, would you check us on that? Would you forgive us for that? We can't do it without you, but Lord, I pray we'd have a willingness to do it. That Lord, we'd put down our self-life and live for the kingdom of God. I pray you'd raise up, Lord, a whole nother generation of people that are ready to put their, their lives aside for the sake of the kingdom. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And we thank you, Lord, that you are the perfect priest and the only perfect one. And that you have brought us into your, your work, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.